Hey guys, we're continuing in our series, our, our Easter series, It's Not Over Yet, and I know some of you are like, dude, it's not Easter, and I know that, okay? I know it was last week, but I want you to know something. There's, the resurrection of Christ is the reason that the church worships on Sunday. It's the Lord's day, and, and he rose on a Sunday, and we worship on a Sunday, so every time we get together, we are celebrating the resurrection power that's in Christ, and so he is risen just as much this week as he was in last week when we celebrated Easter. And we have been in this series, that we've been seeing unquenchable hope in Jesus. And unquenchable hope in the face of some real difficulties or roadblocks. In fact, we've been looking at characters in the Bible who, just like we, our lives mirror them, we run into places in our life where it's a roadblock circumstances, relationships, something has happened in which we think it's all over. However, when Jesus intercedes in our situation, there is hope, unquenchable, unquenchable hope. And we've seen the last two weeks that, that, that Jesus offers hope in the midst of the roadblock of sin, in the midst of the roadblock of poor decisions, and in the midst of death, Jesus offers hope in the fact that we will face death, but he is the resurrection and the life. And today we're going to look at the roadblock of failure. And see, I mean, some of us think, man, we have failed, we have messed up, our lives are screwed up because of our decisions, we have failed in some way, and we think it's over. However, when Jesus comes in, hope rises up. And so if you will, we're going to be in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, chapter 16, Verse uh, 25 to begin with, Acts chapter 16, verse 25. You don't have a copy of God's Word, you're in luck, it'll be on the screen here. I'd like to read this story and, 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 and give you, see that there's a man who hits a roadblock here, the roadblock of failure. Verse 25 says this, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I need to give you a little bit of, of some context, okay? So these guys are in jail, Paul and Silas, Paul being one of the apostles, Silas being one of the missionaries who's going along with Paul. Now, see, I want you to understand this, too. See, we got the Easter story where Jesus is crucified, and he is risen, and then he ascends. When he ascends, the work of the gospel is not over with. He just empowers his people through his spirit to take Jesus to other people. And so what we have here in Acts is we see the church being built and, and God calling followers to go out and make disciples and to spread the good news, the resurrection news, that there is hope and life and freedom from sin in Christ. And so these guys are going, they're missionaries to, to, this, thing, to, this, to this end, and we see that they, Paul ends up, because God slams some doors shut, he ends up in Philippi. And he meets a lady who, um, who is a slave girl who has, has a spirit and a demon living inside of her. And because she is demon-possessed, she is making her masters who own her 
a lot of money because she's a fortune teller. You can go back and read this in the context of Acts chapter 16. Because what we have here is this lady's demon-possessed, and she starts, she hears Paul and Silas, meets them, and she starts, because of that demon working inside her, that slave girl starts following them around everywhere Paul and Silas go and preaching. And they're like, they're like, oh, we heard about your Jesus. Oh, we heard about him. And Paul becomes very annoyed. We, I love this in the Bible. Have you, ever been, have you ever been annoyed? Like the Bible is it's real people with real problems. And the apostle, it shows you that we're not banking our hope on Paul, but Jesus, he becomes crazy annoyed with this lady who's interrupting his sermons like all the time, okay? He finally says, come out of her. And what happens? In the name of Jesus, that demon comes out and the slave masters get really upset. They beat them and throw them into prison. So that's quite the story, right? That's your best life now, right? All right? Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Remember, they're beaten in a prison, shackled up, and they're doing something weird. They're praying and singing praise to God. In fact, it makes note here that people are taking note of this, especially the other prisoners. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake. And that was not unusual in this area, but think about the timing. This is obviously providential. It's obviously the work of God. They're singing and praising, and then remember what happens? All the prisoners, it's that mention that, makes, that they're making a ruckus, okay? This wasn't just like low singing, okay? This was like four-year-old in a nice restaurant loud, okay? I know this very well. You know what I mean? Like you go to one of those romantic restaurants, and you decide to bring your four-year-old. I've never done that. I've done that. And so you bring them in there, and they're like, ah! They're just doing normal four-year-old stuff, but it's so loud. These guys are not just, not just singing. They're singing and everybody's noticing it, okay? I don't think they're trying. To, I don't think they're American Idol, okay? Like, oh, you know, amazing, great. I mean, they're not doing that, I don't think. But they're singing praises and hymns to God, and people are listening, and then an earthquake comes. They might, who knows? They might have been put, praying for God to open the doors. And he answers, answers through an earthquake, we don't know. Verse 26 said, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and every bond was unfastened. Jailbreak. And then we got verse 27. This guy, this jailer who's in charge, the warden, if you will, he thinks his life is over. Verse 27, and the jailer woke and he saw the prison doors were open, and he drew his sword, not to go after the prisoners. Why? Because he was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. This guy's occupation was a jailer. He was put in this position. Philippi was a, a Roman colony. It was fortified. It was a fortified Roman colony. It was one of the, the biggest um, centers of uh, of trade and, and commerce and other things in that part of the Roman Empire, Macedonia. This guy was in charge of a big jail there. The prison system and the law system were meant to keep the Romans in charge, and they were merciless with the people who worked under them. Soldiers screwed up. Most of the time, that would end in some form of execution. It was not a, not a good thing. This man was serving as a jailer, and he saw his whole occupation and his livelihood and probably his life flashed before his eyes because this earthquake comes. No fault of his own. He didn't cause the earthquake, 
but it looks like a failure because what is a jailer supposed to do other than keep people in jail? It's like you had one job, right? Okay? It's like when you go and you get a hamburger from a fast food restaurant and it's got cheese and onions and ketchup and mustard and pickles and no patty. And you're like, seriously? You had one job, really? Because you didn't come there for a bun with condiments on it, right? You got condiments at your house, right? What do you want? You had one job. This jailer, what was his job? Keep the guys in jail. And so he is experiencing a monumental, cataclysmic, ultimate failure. And when he woke up and he saw what had happened, I mean, he must have had that sinking feeling in his stomach. (gasps) This is the worst possible scenario. Like, I had one job, keep him in jail. And now all all the gates are open and all the bonds are broken. And what did he imagine those prisoners would have done? Skedaddled. Okay, that's a fun word. Use that one today. Gone. You know, leaving that roadrunner shadow. You know, ding, you know, you know what I'm talking about. If you watch Lenny Tune, just dig gone. However, this is not something funny in this man's eyes. He has reached this cataclysmic point of failure that he is ready to take his sword and take his own life. This would not necessarily been uncommon for this day because it was a very honor-centric culture, and in this this culture of shame, he knew that he could not bear this. He might have feared that execution would come because of this. He didn't want to put his family through public shame, and he thought by taking his own life, he would have been doing, the in the Roman thinking, would have been doing the honorable thing and making things right. Now, we see this man has hit this roadblock, and I think many of us have, have hit this same roadblock, is this ulti- ultimate failure that's happened in life. Whether it's a failure of a relationship, whether it's a failure in your job, whether it's a failure in any other place. And I want you to know something. This is, so, this is such a big deal to this man that he is contemplating the ultimate of taking his life. He is in a dark, dark place. And I want you to know this. Failure is one of life's just greatest roadblocks. It's, it's, it's on par with death and sin, because and, failure sometimes is the death of a dream. And so I want, I want us to think, why? Why is failure such a huge roadblock? Why is this man about at the point of taking his life? But first, I want you to think about it this way. We talked about it, mentioned it. It's shame. When failure happens, shame enters into the story. What do we think about? It's our own shame. We think, man, I should have been better than this. I should have been more prepared than this. How did I get to this point where everything around me has fallen apart? Maybe this, maybe we don't know. We can make some holy speculations here. This guy, he's got all this stuff running through his mind. Man, I could have done better. Maybe if I had more guards posted. What if we did, you know, what if we had done that maintenance that we needed to do? We don't know what is happening, but we know that he, because he's about to take his life and knowing this culture, shame would have entered in. And he might have been beating himself up. We know, man, it's amazing how fast your brain works in a time like that. And so all these things could have ran, ran in. And you know when failure happens, we think that. We think about, our, I should have done better. I should, I, how could I let this happen? How could I be so blind? How could I be so dumb? So shame is such, a, failure is such a dangerous thing and such a robot because we beat ourselves up seeing our own shame. Secondly, we fear the shame of others. And ultimately, that's one of the things he was thinking about, obviously. 
in this culture, the culture, the shame culture, the honor culture that would have been in Rome, he was not wanting to bring shame upon his family. What would other people think? This man was, he had one job. He was in dereliction of duty. He let all of the prisoners escape. And when you think about it, CCA down here, the prison, you imagine if it came across the news that all of the prisoners escaped? Just, I know I just put that thought in some of your head for the first time, and you're like, oh, no! <laughs> we were thinking economy, economy, escape prisoners, okay? Just think about that thought for a minute. Hey, there's not a lot of people keeping their jobs, even if it wasn't their fault. How many people would think bad about Trousdale County and think bad about that system, think bad about those things? Even if they, it was, they did everything in their power to make it happen, and I know they do a good job out there, and they're continually working to approve it. But can you imagine what that would look like, the shame that would bring? Failure inevitably brings shame. We're thinking about how other, how other people are going to see that my business crashed and burned. How are other people going to see that my marriage is a mess? How are other people going to see this, that I, I was, I was going to make it, and now i failed? What do you do with that? Why is failure such a huge roadblock? It's shame. Secondly, failure is such a roadblock, and we don't know this exactly about this man, but we do know that he is called the jailer. And so many men, I want to speak directly to men for a second. Most of us, we define ourselves by what we do. We do. Because what is the first question when you meet somebody? What do you ask them? What do you do? Okay. And I've been the place, but I've been in between jobs. I think because of principle, there's a reason I was in between jobs. And so you try to make up, excuse me, well, I'm, I'm uh, taking a hiatus right now. Just, you know, clearing my head, seeking the Lord. Because <laughs> why don't you want to say it? Because you're like, I'm not working at the moment. Not, not what I want to do. I'm working somewhere. You don't have to say that. Well, what do you do? You, we define ourselves by so, in so many ways by what we do. And this man... <laughs> you're that jailer? <laughs> you're, he wasn't, even if he kept his life, whether he didn't take it or his, his bosses didn't take his life, he probably wouldn't serve as a jailer anymore. Can you imagine him sitting down to that job interview? Okay, so, so you worked in Philippi, and you let all the prisoners escape. We're going to pass. You're not going to get our warden job here, okay? You can see that, right? This guy, his, his whole world is kind of falling apart, and so sometimes failure takes us into an identity crisis. And if you're defining yourself by what you do, you're missing the point of the gospel. And I want to encourage all of us men, and even you ladies, because it might be for you too, but it's, I know it's especially something with men, that we cannot define ourselves by what we do. We must define ourselves by who we are in Christ and prepare for the failures to come. And, and I, I just, I, I just want to say that from the bottom of my heart. That's why failure, failure puts us in, sh- in the shame. What, are, what do I think? How am I beating myself up for my failures? Failure puts us to shame our own. We bring shame on ourselves. Other people would think about us, and they would cast dispersion on us, and we would feel that shame of, can you believe what they did? you believe so-and-so? Can you believe how they failed? Can you believe that? Not only that, it brings an identity crisis of, who am I? Thirdly, 
failure is so dangerous and such a huge roadblock because it can lead us to some of the darkest, darkest depths of places, including at this point, lead this ma- leads this man, this jailer, to contemplating suicide. He took his sword. He saw the failure. He saw that he had one job. That is over with. And in verse 27, what does it say? The jailer woke, and he saw the prison doors were open. He assumed the worst. He assumed what we all would have assumed, that the prison doors were open, the prisoners would run. And he drew his sword. He was about to kill himself, supposing that all the prisoners had escaped. He had reached that dark, dark moment, that dark, dark night, in which he thought there was no other way, no other option to save his honor or whatever was going through his mind. We don't know exactly. We can speculate. I think in a good way we can speculate. We know this. He was at the point where he, it was such a dark place that he was contemplating taking his own life. That's a real thing. And sadly, people get there all the time. And some people do take their lives. And I, I want you to know something, that there's so many different reasons for that. Failure is not only the one. There's mental illness. There's so many different things that's going on. I want to beseech you in this way when it comes to this. When it comes to this idea of you get to such a dark moment that you would take your own life. I want you to know first, just a few, a handful of things. Seek help. Call a hotline, call a friend, call a pastor, call an elder. Seek help. Secondly, go to a doctor because something may be physiologically wrong with you. Thirdly, I want you to know this, that your life does not belong to you. What are you talking about? doesn't belong to me. I, aren't, aren't I the product of my choices and my... In some, in some respect, yes, but your life was, you did not have anything to do with you coming into existence, and the, sust- the sustaining nature of your life is not, you're, you are not sustained by your own doing, because if your ticker wants to stop, it will. And if your bodily functions, it, it, whatever's keeping you alive, the Lord is sustaining you at this moment. I know you don't like to hear that, some might maybe buck against that, but every breath that we take is loaned. So it's not ours. I want you to know something. You are not your own. And you might be at that place, and failure might be knocking on your door, suicide is dark for you. I want you to know something. At this man's darkest moment, when he picks up that sword, hope's voice rings out right before he takes it all. What happens? Jesus intercedes through his people. I want you to hear Jesus, the story of Jesus interceding doesn't stop with his ascension. It just continues through his people who are empowered by the Spirit of God to make much life-changing good news known to people and to bring unquenchable hope in Christ into the most dark, despairing situations. So here's what happens. He's about to take his life. He saw that the doors were had swung open. He, his mind had raised to the fact that I am ruined, the shame, the failure. I'm going to take my own life. It'll be better off if I'm not here. And what happens? Hope calls out through the apostle Paul. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are, for we are all here. He had... It made him stop, 
but he's a little skeptical because what happens in the next verse? Verse 29. And the jailer called for lights. Hey, bring the, bring the torches, bring the lamps, bring something. This guy told me they're all here. I don't believe it, but we got to investigate it. And so what happens? The jailer called for lights, and he rushed in, and trembling, he, trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And what does he find out? That they're all there. <laughs> now, that's a miracle, okay? Like, None of them are gone. Paul said, we're all here, bud. The chains are broken. The gates are freed. Had you been in that prison? Listen, we have made an industry, a niche industry in the world about people getting locked in rooms and trying to get out. Have you ever seen these escape games? Okay? Some of you, the thought of that makes you so anxious. Okay? I was talking to my wife. We, we drove past one, uh, and it was, uh, we drove past one, and uh, I said, Amy, would, would you ever want to do that? No! <laughs> I don't want people to lock me in a room. It's like my worst nightmare. It was like, it was fun. No, it's not. It's self-imposed incarceration. What are you talking about? And just the thought, as soon as those doors sling open, that those guys don't hightail it out of there, skedaddle, if you will, is miraculous in and of itself. So I want you to know something. Hope comes. The hope of Jesus, the unquenchable hope of Jesus, often comes to people through God's people. I want you to just, just, just breathe that in for a second, because... We know that the Spirit of God indwells His people and that He's empowered us to go make disciples. And when we go and we take the gospel, which is, means good news, we take it to people, it has to reach them through us. God, we are God's ordained means, but which to take this hope, to take the unquenchable hope of Jesus throughout the world. So get this. Everybody, have you ever been to that point? I mean, I wish somebody would talk to that person in my office. But they really need Jesus. I mean, look at what they're going through. I'm going to call my pastor. I'm going to call one of our elders. Kevin would do great at this. I'm going to call Kevin up. Kevin, would you come and talk to my coworker? And Kevin might. But that's not Kevin's job. It's yours. You are a missionary of hope in a desperate world. The Lord calls us to be these people that bring unquenchable hope. People that I know we have to, we all, we're hoping all the time, and our hope is being sustained by the work of, of God's Spirit in us. We are people that have a hope, and we take our hope to the world. Our hope is not in, in positive thinking. Our hope is not in anything else but the resurrected Jesus and the hope that he brings. And this man, this jailer, is at the, the, at the point of death's door, and he needs somebody to come. Can you imagine if Paul went, I wish Peter was here, were here because he gave that great sermon at the beginning of Acts that thousands of people would be saved. And if Peter was here, he could get up there and preach, and this guy would be saved. No, what does Paul do? Hey, man, we're all here. Hope abounds. And this guy falls on his feet, and he's like, he's trembling. What is happening? What is happening? This doesn't happen. The gates of the prison fling open, and they're all here. The hope of Christ, and Paul will explain this more in just a moment. We'll see that. The hope of Christ comes through the people of God. You want know what the hope for Trousdale County and the world is? It's not that we get a bunch of, like, 
awesome preachers out all the time or get the street preachers going or whatever. The hope for Trousdale County is a bunch of people who find unquenchable hope in Jesus telling other people where unquenchable hope can be found in Jesus. This is not me not wanting to come to your house or share the gospel with your friends. If you want me to, I'll be glad to, but you'll get this. Well, you get one for free. The next time, like, you do it. Okay? Because, listen, he empowered you. If you're a believer in Jesus, you are a messenger of unquenchable hope to people. You don't even know what they're going through. It's amazing what Christ can do if you just say, all right, you said it, I'll do it. That's a big ticket you, you give somebody you, when you give it to the Lord. Okay, that's real submission. Like, all right, you lead me to somebody, let's go. It's on like Donkey Kong, all right? I'm going to share this thing. Let's talk about hope. And some of you are thinking, well, I just, I, don't, I just don't know if I can do that. Well, learn. Well, just start where you are. <laughs> do you have hope? Do you know Christ? Well, you're qualified. But what if they say this? What if they say that? I don't know. What if they do? I might not know the answer either. Your elders might not know the answer. We might have to go look it up. We'll have to call Ravi Zacharias or somebody who knows a lot more than we do, okay? Call John Piper up and we'll talk to him or we'll call somebody. Why don't you say, the hope that's within you, the Father works through that. The, the Spirit of God works through our hope that is within us. So just you, you are this emissary of hope. Where does that, where, where, where does that mean? What does that mean? Like, are you on a mission trip all day long? Absolutely you are. No, we don't think about that. It would change the way we thought about getting up and going to work. It would. Getting up and going to work instead of like, oh, my gosh, because Monday's coming. You know that, right? It's like tomorrow. And when that alarm goes off, you're going to like, Gah! slam it down, probably snooze it 700 times, okay? If you guys like me on the iPhone, I set all the alarms, like four of them in a row. Finally, by the fifth one, I'm like, oh, get up. Instead of going, look, I get to go. I have to go to work. I have to do this. Like, no, I am going to work. Yes, God called me to do this. But I'm going as a missionary. And there is somebody here that needs hope. And that is just a, that's a, that just cha- that's a game changer. It really is. Now, I don't always think like that, but you know what? The Bible recalibrates our thinking to the thinking of Christ. That's why we get in the Word. That's why we read the Word. That's why we preach and teach the Word. Because we, if we relied on our desires and how we felt, we wouldn't get anything done. But the Lord recalibrates our heart through the Spirit and through His Word, and He gets us to that place. And I want you to know that roadblock is, or failure is this huge roadblock, but I want you to know something, that God brings hope through Christ and His people. His people bring Christ's hope to other people, and you can do that in your office, in your work, in your house. There is hope in failure. I said that weird. There's hope in failure through Jesus. And through his people sharing that. I just want you to know that hope comes in our roadblock through people. Secondly, I want you to know it comes through providence. What am I talking about? Providence is this. Providence is the working of God by which he, he moves everything in our lives and in the world to the counsel of his will, and he usually does great things, weird, wonderful things. And I want you to know something. But long before this jailer had a need, the means to meet that need were being made. If you go back in Acts chapter 16, Paul was trying to go to Asia. Door, door shut. He has a dream. A guy from Macedonia. 
which is where Philippi is located, was going, come help us. And he obviously, he understood that as a dream from the Lord, and so he went to Macedonia. So the Lord was already working to bring Paul to this town where this jailer was. Secondly, I want you to see this. He met, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, secondly, um, <laughs> secondly, he, he was not only that, he met this lady named Lydia, and he met her. God opened her eyes to the gospel. Paul and Silas stayed at Lydia's house in that area. Through that staying at Lydia's house, they ended up meeting the slave girl. Through the slave girl, they ended up getting beaten. This was all part of God's providential plan to meet the jailer's need at this, at this low point. And what happens? If those guys aren't in that jail, when that earthquake hits, there's no hope for that guy. So in God's providence, he has put them, he has put his people, okay, this is like, if you believe people that tell you, follow Jesus, you're going to be happy, wealthy, and wise, you're crazy. They need to read the Bible, folks. The Lord met this man's need by putting his people in prison. Smacked them in these leg chains, put them in the inward part of the, the prison. They've been beaten, and because of the the freakish joy that can be found in Jesus, they're saying and praying in the middle of the night when the earthquake hits. And when this guy's about to take his life, he does not realize when he is in that desperation moment that God has already met his need and brought hope to him. So if you're in, this, you're in a dark spot, by the way, and you think there's no way out, why don't you just listen to hear this? God is already at work Meeting your need. You remember the story of Zacchaeus we talked about at the very beginning? Do you know that tree was planted many years before Zacchaeus needed to climb it? <laughs> and the plan to save Zacchaeus was made before the foundations of the world and God's will. Oh, man, you have no idea what God is up to. And so despair, we can't hold on to it. Failure does not beat us because it's very often that the Lord uses our worst failures in his providence to do so much greater. And you might be in your situation, because a lot of times, especially we're, in, we're, we're individualists in America, we just think about how is God using this in my life? It's probably way bigger than you. God may be using your awful failure for other people. <laughs> That's crazy that he would do that. This, this man's need was met before he even saw Paul. This is a miraculous work of God. God and his providence had led. And then also think about the providential nature and the will of God. Why did those prisoners not leave? God. Because every other inclination in their entire body would be like, let's blow this place. And so by the time the jailer hears Paul, don't leave, don't do it, man. Put that sword down. We're all here. And by the time he ran in there trembling to the feet of Paul and Silas, going, what in the world? God has met the need. He's hadn't encountered it yet. I mean, this is some high-level stuff right here. This is rarefied air. This is the greatness and glory of Jesus Christ. This is the greatness and glory of God on display in this seemingly insignificant person who's running a jail in, in the Roman province of Macedonia in Philippi. Weird stuff. And then what happens? 
Finally, we have hope through God's people, through providence. We see hope in God's promises. At the end, what happens? And he, it says in verse 20, go back to verse 29 with me. And the jailer called for the lights, and he rushed in, trembling with fear, and he fell down before Paul and Silas. In verse 30, it says this, then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, how does, why, is he, why is he thinking about salvation? Why is he thinking about his soul? You know why? Because those Paul and Silas were singing the gospel and praying to God as loud as they possibly could in the cell. They were praising God, and most praises to God have to do with salvation. We don't know what they were singing, but it's evident that it was making an impression. It's amazing how God even uses our worship to draw people to himself. That's craziness. And so he's singing, he's, they're praising, he says, okay, obviously the Lord has, is here. What must I do to be saved? He's been saved from shame. He's been saved from his failures, but he wants to know salvation in God. He wants to know freedom from sins. He may not understand it that way, but he wants to know how to be connected to Jesus. And Paul is right there to explain it. And it said this, and he brought them out, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? In verse 30, verse 31, and they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Knowing the Roman system of deities, he was probably thinking he had to make some offering, that he would have had to purchase some animals to sacrifice or give some money to a temple. And here is the good news about the free grace of Jesus. If you believe in what he has done, his death, burial, and resurrection, you will know eternal life and you will have salvation of sin. It is not based on works. It is based on grace and the work of Christ. Believe it. Trust it. Oh, that's such good news. Because when you hear what must I do to be saved, or you may ask that, so many people give the wrong answer so many times. Well, come to church. Read your Bible. Be good. Do more good things than you do bad things. Some would tell you, make an offering here. Give your money here. Be a good person. Da-da-da-da-da. The gospel of Jesus and the promises of God, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Believe. Believe. <laughs> Repent and believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. This must come as just the greatest news. In verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. The Lord had, 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 had done this work so that not only does, does the city get to hear or see the gospel played out through Paul and Silas and their beating and all this kind of stuff, he gets to preach not only to the Philippian jailer, Paul and Silas got to sing the gospel and sing the good news of God to everybody who's in the cells, and they were a captive audience, like literally a captive audience to hear about this, okay, because they were in stocks, in, in prison, and then on top of that, he gets to go to, the, to this guy's house and preach the gospel there. Can you see what God has done to some people in surrender to Christ as well? Do you see what God can do with a small life? You know, Paul was a murderer, and he breathed threats against the church. God called him to be an apostle, and he put them in these situations by his providence, and God promoted himself through Paul. He can do that with you. Oh, what he could do with a surrendered life. He'll accomplish it with or without you. I just want to be clear about that. But you get you get to put your hand in, and that's cool. That is good news. You get to be a part of the glory of God spreading to the world and people knowing hope in Christ. What 
an opportunity we have been given. Not only that, what happens? And he spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. So now Paul and Silas are getting, they have ministered the word, and now this person has believed, and now he is ministering to God's people. Remember, God's meeting God's people's need through God's people, and now he's part of God's family, and what is he doing? Paul and Silas, they've been whipped, they've been thrown in a nasty jail, and now the jailer who was, who was supposed to be you know, making their stay uncomfortable and keeping them in jail is now bringing them to his house, washing up their wounds. What a work of God. And then we see this. He took them the same hour of the night, and he washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, and I don't know where this happened. I don't know. That's, that's crazy. I don't know if they filled up something out in the, in the yard. Who knows? I guess they they didn't have kiddie pools at that time. They were dunking him, though, okay? And so they baptized him once. He wanted to show and express his faith in Christ right there. And it says he baptized him at once, he and all his family. Obviously, that, and we know this from the Scriptures, that when he's talking about he and all his family, it was all those who believed. And so we see this in verse 34. And he brought them up into the house. He set food before them. Remember, just previous to this, what were they doing? In jail, in leg stocks, in the middle of the jail, now they, have the, now they got to preach the gospel. Now they're at this guy's house. Now they have their wounds clean. Now they have food in front of them. And then it says, and they brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And so what comes in this man just hours previous was at death's door. He was ready to take his life by his own hand. <laughs> and now he is rejoicing that he has believed in God. There is joy that is overflowing in the good works. Do you see the unquenchable hope that Jesus can bring? Do you see this so clearly that his people can be these emissaries of this, these ambassadors of, of this good news, of this hope to this lost and dying world? Do you see that no failure is too great for God not to be at work in it to, for his glory and for your good? Don't you see how much hope there is in Christ? Rejoicing in this tough situation. I want you to know this. God can take your greatest failures and make them into the start of your greatest successes. Let me say that again. God can take your greatest failures and make them into the start of your greatest successes. In 2003, I, at 8.30 at night, well, this was probably about 8.10, I was standing out in front of Turlington Hall at the University of Florida. They did a, I was in this giant... Uh, financial accounting course. There was about a thousand other students in this in this course in different sections. We were all waiting to take our test that night, and I had studied for this financial accounting exam for weeks. This was a third of our grade, and it was going to be big time. And I was standing out in front of it, nervous. I had my pencils, my number two pencils in hand because it was going to be a Scantron test. And I had the little calculator they could take. And we, they allowed us one little cheat sheet, which apparently, as the story would go, was going to be useless to me. So I'm standing there going, and Psalm 27 was going through my mind. 
you don't want this going through your mind before a test. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Apparently, it was the professor, okay? I mean, that's who I should have been afraid of. And I walked in there, and I sat down to take that test, and that, they, they handed it to me, and I had the Scantron thing sitting next to me, and I'm, I get to question one, and I'm like, I have no idea. I get to question two, and I'm like, I'm in the wrong building. Question three, what is this, <laughs> okay? Like, I have no idea what this is. At some point, after working three or four problems of this 50-question test, I realized I am in huge trouble. The time is almost up, and I decided to do that uh, BC, 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 BC. There, the end. I got a good enough chance of that. Go home after the test. They posted the answers, and I had the test I got to take. The scantron I had to turn in, but I took the test home. And what you could do is you go online. They were posted as soon as the test was over, and all the sections had made it. You could go online and you could see what you made that night. I have ne- I had never really failed in my life. Oh, but I crashed so hard. It was a twenty. 20- 1%, if something so low, and that was with a curve. I mean, I was like, <gasps> what have I done? I was going to be a business major. That's not going to work. And as clear as day that night in just the anguish of just the epic failure, and I knew I had failed that course. I had never failed a course before. I had never really bombed a test like that before. I was just beside myself. I was beating myself up. I was like, what am I going to do? The Lord, it was just, he didn't speak to me audibly. But in my spirit, I heard it as loud, as loud and clear. as like, you're doing the wrong thing. Not because I wasn't good at that. No, what I was doing is God had called me to ministry when I was about 13 years old. And I thought, you know, let's be safe about this whole ministry thing. I'll go and get a, like a four-year degree so I can fall back on something in case it doesn't work out. The Lord was like, hey, your crutches, I'm going to take those. Because you belong to me. Yes, sir. And from that moment, I've kept this test. And I, I look feverishly in my house to find it. We've, been, we've remodeled and moved so many times since then. It's like, I don't know where it is. But I've kept it. It's still in my possession. And one day I will find it if you want to see it. I still have that test. You would have, think, I, you would have thought I would have burned that outside. Like, yeah! Because that day I went, I went to this, I got to drop that course. And I made plans to go to a Baptist college and, and pursue ministry. Which ultimately, funny enough, the fact that I went to that Baptist college led me here. Because that's where Kevin had gone. And they wouldn't have looked at my resume had I not gone to that college. And so that's ridiculously crazy. God's providence worked that way. And I want you to know something. I've kept that test all these years because that was the test when I realized I needed to go and follow the Lord with abandon. So I did that. Secondly, I want you to know this. That's when I decided, you know what? I'm going to marry, I'm going to marry my wife because I'm going to go to this other school. and She's in Gainesville. I can't let her stay in Gainesville. I'm going a couple hours away. i got to lock this down. I, I, I like this, so I'll put a ring on it. So I locked it down. <laughs> and that led me to where I that – that is the start. My greatest failure has been the source of the Lord's great, some of the Lord's greatest blessings in my life. Oh, the power of God. Oh, the hope that is in Christ. Oh, the providential leading hand of God. You may have hit the roadblock of failure, but it's not over yet because there's unquenchable hope in Jesus. And you might just be, as you follow him and you live in abandon, you might just be that agent of hope in someone else's life, bringing Christ to those who have not seen. And know this. When 
you hit failure, God can take your greatest failures and make them into the start of your greatest successes for your good and for His glory. Let's pray. We're going to sing. We're just going to give all the praise to God. Let's pray together. If you would, just take a moment. God had something for you today through, the, through His Word, and I just ask you to say this to the Lord. Say, God, I hear you, and I'll obey you. Just take a moment just before the Lord, and you may be in this place, and you want to lift this up to Him. You may be struggling with a failure. You may be struggling with a roadblock. You think it's the dead end. You need to see today, and you need to say, just say this to the Lord. I know there's hope in you, even though I don't feel it. Just say that to the Lord. Some of you may have heard the gospel. You need to talk to an elder about what it really means to trust Christ if you're confused. Secondly, some of you need to come up and find an elder, myself, Kevin, or Tom, and say, I need to be baptized to show that I believe. That may be you. Just at this moment, see the working out of the plan of God. And God, you're not here by happenstance. You're here by His will and His providence. He's here to speak to you. And so I pray that we would obey Him. So, Lord, we come as a people just just acknowledging your victory, even in our failures. Acknowledging your victory over sin, acknowledging your victory over death, and just in awe of the fact that we can be connected to that through your grace, by your grace, and through faith. All we have to do is believe, and you're so good to us. God, we want to respond in worship. We want to respond in obedience. Just move in our life, move in our church, move in our hearts, we pray. We do all this for your glory. You're so amazing. Lead us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name.